You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wyatt, Terry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Robin Mock, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm really excited to have Cecilia Eckbeck on the show with me today. She has an amazing new book uh, here in the U.S. where where I'm talking to her from. It's been out for about a week, a week and a half, uh, and variously around the world as well. Uh, the book is called The Historians, A Thrilling Novel of Conspiracy and Intrigue during World War II. And I'll tell you what, this is a fascinating book. If you love historical fiction and you love thrillers, um, you're going to love this book. It's a it's a unique combination of of these two genres that I think uh, is really going to connect with a lot of people. Welcome to the show, Cecilia. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have you. Um, Cecilia, we begin each show with the same question. And that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Yeah, and you know, you know what? I, I've thought about this so much because I know that this is what you ask when you start your show. And I've sort of come to the conclusion that I never did. And I, st- I still really <laughs> kind of don't. Um, and uh, I, I was the kid who was always dropped off at the library by their parents after school and picked up at closing time. And I wrote for the newspaper since I was 12 um, and won a short story competition when I was 14. Um, And when I got published first, um, I was contacted by a couple of kids from school who said, you know, we knew you were going to be a writer. And we always knew. And you used to write these stories for us uh, and give us and we were allowed to write the endings, too. Um, So write was always there. Yes. Uh, but being a writer, um, kind of no. And so, so, so th- this has spurred me. I've thought a lot about this this week. And I think <laughs> it is that because to me, it is um, writing seems different from being a writer. Um, so one is between you and the page, sort of what's in your head and, and what's on the page. It's quite private. Um, it's very quiet. Um, and it's a lot of sort of, you know, time on your own. Um, Why says the other being a writer to me seems to be much more between you and the world. Um, and I don't know why I'm hesitant to sort of say that. I, maybe part of it is sort of, you know, I'm, I'm worried about saying it hybris, you know, what would it mean if I started to call myself a writer? Um, but the other part is this, I'm, I'm not sure I, I want it. Um, I'm someone who wants to write and and who has to write, even though that too can be ambiguous to me. But my friend, Laura, she always says, well, writing is better than not writing. And I think that's (laughs) where I've sort of landed. Um, But I don't don't feel I sort of really want to be a writer. I actually love that answer, Cecilia. That is uh, I I think there are a lot of people that that feel the same way that you do. uh, you know, that it's maybe not some grand calling, um, but it's it's something that is uh, it's just part of who you are. And uh, I, 
I actually, I actually really, uh, really appreciate that answer. Oh, thank you. I was worried about it, but but no. I sort of feel I've got <laughs> I've got friends who are so busy being the writer that they actually never have the time to write, and I I can't imagine anything worse. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I sort of feel if you've got time to sit down in front of your screen and sort of think together with yourself, that is a blessing. Yeah. And and anything else is sort of on top. I'm I'm reminded of a documentary film that came out several years ago. Um, I, I believe it was called It Might Get Loud. Uh, and I may not have that title correct, but it had Jack White of the White Stripes uh, band. And uh, the edge of U2 and Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin. And they're trading stories about playing guitar. And Jack White says he, he talks about playing um, a kind of old and discarded instruments that are not perfect. And because he likes the struggle, he likes having to work at getting a good sound out of it. And, and, and out of that struggle comes interesting things. Um, uh-huh. and I, I like to think of writing in those same terms sometimes that, that if it's, if it's not a bit of work, if it's, if you're not digging deep and, and, and the struggle, uh, in some ways, uh, makes it more, um, I, I don't know. It's just, um, I, I like that metaphor that the idea oh, I love of having it. to work at it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I need to look that up. I, I like, I love when people talk about sort of their art and, and how how they create and and um and i th- i think it's true i think that you have to dig deep and then i also think that you can always learn more and for me this is a, a big thing that you know every time you write something new there is something new to learn not just about sort of the um, the time period or you know your plot or but about the craft itself if you like and um in in the world we live in i i find that um once you get published, you really have to um, hold your ground because you get so wrapped up into this, you know, when is the next book ready? When can the publishers want to see it early? And I sort of find you kind of have to hold your borders a little bit there um, because otherwise you end up co-writing and that is something completely different. Um, So, yeah. Cecilia, um, you now live in Canada, is, is that right? That's right. Yes. Yeah. Um, but you are from <clears throat> Sweden, and yes. uh, and your your new book, the the one that we're talking about today, uh, the historians, is uh, is, is definitely um, a story about Sweden, and uh, and or at least you know takes place uh, there. But I, I'm interested in how a sense of place. Uh, affects us as in, in the things that we do and it maybe comes out in our work um other than the the new book which is um, kind of about the the world war ii struggle in sweden um do you feel like that you that where you are from and where you were raised affects the kind uh, the kind of writing that you do and, and the sorts of stories that you make oh yeah massively and i think um uh, something something that I've sort of been playing with, if you like. I've, I've published three books. 
uh, or written three books. And and um, they're all about the same place, but set sort of 100 years apart. And the whole thinking there was to sort of get to work with place and see how place impacts characters over time and what sort of stays the same and what changes and so on. And I grew up in the north of Sweden and um, uh, have a very... Um, uh, I was going to say it's a mixture, very strong religious and very strong pagan sort of background. But uh, so, you know, I grew up with these stories around. So so, so the community was very religious. Um, and but there was also all these stories about the boy who lived on the bog, you know, who could enter your mind if you had bad <laughs> thoughts or Santa was a little goblin who lived in the barn and, you know, who was mean. Um, so, so, you know, I grew up with all these things and of course it has a, a huge impact. And I also think the climate in Sweden and the fact that we have, you know, the winter half of the year, we have mostly night and the summer, mostly days, it, it kind of does something to you, um, to your psyche, if you like. And, um, yeah, so, so to me, place is, is incredibly important. Um, and I do like it to have you know, in, in my first book, I actually let place have a, a, a voice. Um, so there were interludes where, where place got to speak. And I like to think of it as, as a character who sort of bears down on, on the people in the books, you know. Um, yeah. I, Cecilia, I was not aware that your, the, your three novels that you've published um, are kind of a, a timeline uh, of, a, of the same place. Was that something that that was uh, a conscious effort from you from the beginning or did it come to you later as you looked back on your work that, oh, I, I, I now realize that I have done this? Well, so what happened was uh, my first book um, I wrote as, as sort of trying to, um, my father had just died and my father was sort of the most important person in my life and a very strong personality. And I was sort of curious to find out, you know, why we had turned out the way we had turned out, you sure. know, especially the women in my family. Why couldn't we talk? Um, what was it between my grandmother and my mother? What was it between me and, and her and so on? So I started interviewing my grandmother and, and eventually also my mother about the past. And I sort of got into this, you know, our history as, as a family. And, and I wrote my first book four times. On the first time it was set in present tense and it was in present um, day. And it was sort of a, a story about three women. But then I kept thinking, but that's not when it started. So I kept sort of going back and going back. And I landed on 1717, where the settlers first came to Lapland and where you had sort of the church settled also in Lapland, which had a huge impact on the indigenous population, the Sami. And that's where the book sort of ended up being. And it was no longer about my family, but but sort of it was about you you know the past, and it became a, a, a murder history, a who done it on the mountain. But then I think because I had walked back through the times writing this book four times, you know, I thought, well, actually that period was also really interesting. So the next book then happened in 1856, and then now the third book sort of World War Two. Um, is is kind of spinning off that first book, if you like. So I didn't set out to do that, but once I had written the first book, it was sort of the obvious, the obvious thing I wanted to work with. Now, 
Um, Cecilia, I know that you have spent quite uh, a, a bit of time traveling around the world and uh, soaking in different cultures. Um, and now you live in Canada. Uh, what what is it about Sweden that uh, when you when you look back on the place you were raised and 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 where you spent your formative years uh, and now living in another place, what is it about Sweden that is unique and special to you? Well, I think it has to do with roots, um, and I think it has to do with sort of you know where you feel you grew from. Yeah. Um, now, the book I've just finished writing now, actually, which I'm now editing, is set in France. So that's completely different. But I guess I wasn't done with, you know, my my country, if you like, <laughs> and my sort of growing up. I had things to that I wanted to say and I had things I wanted to kind of return to um, in my mind, even if I sort of didn't do so physically for any sort of longer sense of times. So, um, yeah, so it was sort of following your your roots, if you like, and starting there. Um, your your first book uh, was that in the month of the midnight sun? No, it was Wolf Winter. Oh, excuse me, I got those I got those backwards. Yeah, don't um, worry. Yeah, what was the <laughs> what was the inspiration for Wolf Winter? Um, you know, I'm I'm fascinated by um by the beginnings of things, where stories form. Um, and, and I know you've talked a little bit about this on your website that I saw about the kind of what's that that initial inspiration that, you know, we hold a novel in our hand and it can be, you know, 400 pages or so. And uh, but all of that began with one spark of inspiration. Um, what, what was the spark of inspiration for Wolf Winter? Yeah, so that really was this whole thing when my my father passed and then sort of speaking to um to my relatives sort of trying to understand and um and I read a, a number of books that ha- has been written about uh, Lapland every little town has got their sort of you know celebrating 200 years and then they produce a book but what really struck me was that not much seemed to have changed in in sort of um you know, for the longest of time. So I know my grandmother used to say, well, you know, we we went from nothing to everything and it was overnight. So it was a roadless land until World War II and suddenly we had roads. You know, I made my shoes myself and suddenly I could buy high heel shoes in the shop. You know, there was this this huge sort of change. Yeah. Um, so Wolf Winter was then set in 1717 and it was... Um, about a woman who who comes to a family from Finland who comes to this this mountain where there are six settler families and then someone dies. So it's this very claustrophobic sort of, you know, one of them will have done it. It's a bit of a who done it, or if you like, but it's not in a closed room, it's on a mountain. Um but who is it? And and sort of and everyone who came to Lapland, I remember reading this and how it sort of struck a chord. Everyone who came to Lapland at that stage sort of came fleeing someone or something you know people were there for a reason and I thought that's that's just the perfect sort of setup for something to happen and to try and describe what happens in small communities when there are fear when there's fear so a lot of us are interested in our family histories and and uh you know how we wound up where we are and um 
a lot of us will ask our grandparents and other family members to tell us the the story of of who we are and how we got to where we are. Um, but rarely does the, do do those conversations turn into writing a novel about it? What was it uh, about learning your family's history and and tracing your roots, uh, as you like to say? And uh, what was it that that was the springboard uh, that launched from there? to to writing mm. fiction it's a great question and and i guess it was that you know writing was kind of what i did it was how i dealt with things and um so, so that's sort of you know, you know so i wrote it down and then at some point it turned fiction instead of fact i, I think a lot of us when we start writing we do write about ourselves and our families which, which is interesting to us and maybe not so interesting to to anybody else. Um, and at some point there, it it did turn fiction. Uh, but I actually don't quite know. Sort of, um, I think I think that must have been when I was thinking, you know. But this wasn't when it started. And then I moved back in town time. But then I didn't know who those characters were, so I made them up. And again, sort of moved back in town time. And it didn't become a book until I put a body in there. I have to admit, <laughs> you know, it was like, you know, once I had a body, um, it became a book. I knew what to sort of do with it, if you like, um, potentially for reading a lot of crime myself. Uh, but yeah. Cecilia, um, at, at what, when did you realize that this was, this book was going to have uh, a larger life. Um, like, you, you know, when, when you, when you finish it, how did you decide what to do with it? And, uh, you know, how did it find its way off of your computer or your notebook to the rest of the world? Yes, I have. Um, and as I have this thing, which is, um, I'm, um, I, I love learning, you know, it's my biggest driver in, in everything I do is, is learning. And when I had started writing and I was sort of turning this into fiction, I thought, you know, I, I want to learn how to really write. So, and, and again, it wasn't in my head. And I guess this goes back to, you know, the conversation we had early on, writer versus writing. It wasn't in my head that I was going to be published. That was not at all it. It was more this, I really want to learn. So I signed up and I did a master in creative writing. And, um, an agent, my agent that I have now saw writing samples of um, students in the school and she called me and she said, I'd really like to be your agent. And I, again, didn't really sort of think about what that means. It was sort of going through the motions and I said, yes. And then when I had finished the book, I sent it to her. And to me, that was it. I sort of washed my hands a little bit and said, that's it. I've written a book. And then she called me back two, three days later and said, I just sold your book. And I remember going to my, my friend crying, <laughs> I don't want to be published. And he said, grow up. <laughs> you, you wrote a book, you sent it in. What did you think was going to happen? And I was like, I don't want to. But um, so, yeah, so, so it's, that sort of happened, um, you know, you know, luck or, or, or despite myself, or, you know, I don't quite know how to put it. <laughs> but then once I had, you know, so I didn't just sell one book, I sold two. So that was then becoming a bit of a, a problem because, right. um, because now until what do I then, do? yeah, exactly. I have to write one more. 
But um, then everything sort of, you know, put itself into place like life sometimes does for us. So we, um, whilst I was writing the book the last time, I became pregnant with twin girls very late. And so we just had our twins um, and they were six months old, I think, or something when the book sort of came out. And so there was a lot going on. And and I sort of felt, you know, I was done with with my my career that I had for a company because I, I, I couldn't see myself traveling to the same extent that I had, you know, having two two girls. And also I felt very strange with them growing up in in London. England because I felt I couldn't offer them anything that I had had growing up. And then my husband got a job offer in Canada. And so we just changed all of that. We moved here. I started writing full time. I was a mom. Everything changed. Um, Yeah. Wow. So fast forward to um, you you wrote the second book. It came out Um, when you're when you're thinking about this third book, which is now the historians. Um, and, and I, I love that, that you, uh, you know, talked about this, this thread that, that connects those first three books, um, and their connection to Sweden. Um, what was it that brought you to this particular time period? Um, and, uh, and, and we're talking about World War II. Um, Sweden is not a country that comes up in a lot of World War II discussions. A lot of times there are other countries that are um bigger players on the on the international stage as we think of it but yet sweden had a really interesting role um to play during all of this what was it that got you interested in this time period uh number 1 and and uh, you know what was what was the the thing that that brought this story alive to you yeah, so I um, I sort of knew that I wanted the third book to be set in in the early 1900s because again, um, you know, following plays as I had done, I knew this place had an iron deposit, and I wanted to be sort of you know in the time where iron was becoming important and where it was sort of developed. I was very apprehensive about writing a World War II novel, just because. There are so many wonderful, beautiful novels written written about World War II. And I also felt that um, we we all know quite a lot about World War II. So I was worried about sort of, you know, getting the research right, a mountain of research and making sure, you know, that I, I, I covered it all. But as I started reading about World War II and Scandinavia, I was intrigued by Sweden's uh, role. Um, I had always sort of almost dismissed it as neutral, though not really being neutral. But what struck me was this tightrope uh, that the Swedish government was uh, walking. Sweden uh, lived uh, World War I poorly. Um, we were neutral, but we did take sides, which meant um, ultimately that the population starved. And we had sworn we would never do that again. So we had said, if there is another great war, we will keep doing what we've been doing until then. We will not take a moral side either with or against. And this then became um, very important because a lot of the iron Sweden produced went to Germany. And during the World War II, as much as in times 80% of Germany's iron came from Sweden. 
So Sweden had this role supplying Germany, which the allies were not happy about, of course, saying that Sweden plunged the war. And then um, Germany was very threatening. So, you know, to the extent that they would read the Swedish daily newspapers and then call up the foreign minister and say, Hitler is really unhappy about that particular article. You know, you better watch out or we're going to take you like we've taken Denmark and Norway. So Sweden had this tightrope of sort of how much can you do and still be neutral. Right. Uh, and then at one point there, it, it really changed for Sweden. And that was when Norway's Jews were taken uh, by, by the Germans and put in camps. That's when it really sort of hit home that, you know, this is all awful what's going on. And we, we are sort of we are playing a role in it. But early on for Sweden, um, you, you know, it was all about protecting yourself against USSR. So in Sweden's mind, if you had to choose between being conquered by USSR and Germany, there were no doubt who you would rather have as your as your master. But that sort of struck me so um, interesting. And the other thing that I sort of that gripped me was this thing that um, the Denmark, Norway, Sweden, Finland, countries that had for much of the past been in unions with each other and that felt a certain kinship. Uh, you know, ended up on different sides or at least with very different experiences from the war. So Denmark and Norway were were occupied. Norway, after a lot of fighting and, and resistance, uh, Sweden was neutral, but the Germans passed through Sweden um, to occupied Norway. And Finland ended up fighting with Germany, fighting USSR. And I sort of thought, wouldn't that be interesting if you had a bunch of young students together and this happens to them. So they get into the war. They're the best of friends. They end up in the war on different sides, or at least with these very different experiences. And then they have to come back together to solve a crime. But now they have the war in their very recent past. And their loyalties have changed. Their loyalties are no longer just to one another, uh, but to something greater than them. So that's sort of how the historians uh, started. So, so tell me about. Um, who was the character that brought this story to life for you? Who, when when you started thinking of these historical events and 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 a story starts to take form, who was that character that walked on the stage of your mind? Well, it was the two girls. It was Britta and Laura, and and the reason being that I thought back to you know when I had appeared in my life when you are that close to a bunch of friends. And, you know, we all have that at university or when we sort of start start becoming adults and, and it's sort of, you know, they become family. And for me, it was two girls <clears throat> uh, and uh, Britta and Laura are based on, on them. And uh, I was working as an au pair in, in Russia, in Moscow when I was 19. And so were they. So we met there and we had sort of a year together and we're still uh, the best of friends. So the two of them. Um, came sort of on there at the same time. So, um, how, long did dies, it, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> how long did it take you to write this book, Cecilia? Uh, three years. Three years. Wow. Yeah. Um, was, you know, when you're dealing with, uh, um, a time period that, uh, that most of us are, have, at least some passing familiarity with we we kind of know the big events that happened 
Um, you know, the, the closer historical fiction gets to present time, um, the more precise that you have to be to really take yes. care. Um, yes. what, what were some of the challenges that you went through in writing a book that, that deals with such a, um, a, a popular time period, for lack of a better term? Yeah, no, it is exactly as you say that, you know, the closer, when you write a book about 1717, nobody knows anything, right? right. But, uh, exactly. but World War II, yes, everybody has a, a view and, and sort of a memory almost, even if you weren't there, it feels that strong. Sure. I think um, what sort of, um, so, so I read I read everything I could find about World War II. My husband was exasperated about, he said, do we have to have books about Hitler in the washroom? You know, they were everywhere. <laughs> right. But um, then I find that that sort of wh where it becomes, um, where it comes alive to me is when you find biographies or diaries written during the time. And I know I have to be extra careful because in my books so far, I've used real people. So, you know, the foreign minister is there of Sweden, um, the prime minister is there, you know, there are real people in there. So, so I have to sort of get it right. Uh, but I, I and I lean a lot on sort of diaries and and um, and biographies. Um, I find that is when you sort of find the um, well, at least how that person was was living it and how it felt to them. Uh, which is another thing that I find interesting. You know, we say this um, history is written by the bankers. And I think right. it's interesting how history is different depending on where you stand and, and what you sort of see and how you look at it. And I find found this fascinating book, which was narratives about the World War, Nordic narratives about the World War through the times, which shows how our narrative around the war has changed. So immediately after the war, you know, the war was about something 20, 30 years later, that has slightly changed. Um, yeah. Um, we, we mentioned earlier in our conversation um, that this book is uh, very much a mixture of historical fiction uh, yet it, uh, it reads and feels like a thriller. Um, there's, there's espionage, there's, um, you know, conspiracy underneath. And, uh, you know, you, you really keep the tension um, raised uh, while reading this book. You know, it's, it's a page turner. You've got to, uh, and, and it feels very different from a lot of historical fiction in that um, it, it, uh, it has some very um, a, a modern feel um, with the, the the level of tension in the book, if that makes any sense at all. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. Do, how did you start thinking about this uh, sort of story thread that went through, and and what sorts of things did you do to to keep the reader engaged and to make it feel like it's very much in the present? Well, so it is a big sort of what if book, you know. So so if um, if um, people had acted on the sentiments and the science as they felt then, you know, where, how far could people have taken it without other people reacting and putting a stop to it? And, and you know, where do you draw that line in the sand? Sure. And, and that sort of idea to me feels very sort of thriller-like. And, and I think once you sort of start writing a story like that, 
the pace almost gives itself, you know, it, it is, um, it has to move fast. It is moving fast as you write it. Um, so I felt that sort of just, just came on its own. Anything slower and it would have sagged is, is sort of what I kept thinking. I, I agree with you. Um, the historians is available everywhere now. Um, this is it's available in Kindle edition or paperback. Um, also an audio book. Um, how did you feel about the how the audio book of this turned out? Yeah, brilliant. I, I love it. Um, I uh, yeah, we were we were talking about, you know, who should read it should it be someone with an accent or not. And we decided not because we were thinking that might just sort of you know, sometimes when you listen to an audiobook, it's lovely when, when the person has an accent. Other times it's just annoying. So, <laughs> so we decided to just go with someone who had a beautiful voice, uh, but no accent. And, and I really like how it turned out. I love it. I love it. Well, Cecilia, we're going to send everyone uh, to pick up a copy of The Historians. Oh, thank happen. you. We're going to put links to it in the show notes. Um, if people are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you do, I know that you have a fantastic uh, website. Um, where can people find you and connect with you online? Yeah, so it is my name. So www.ceciliaekbeck.com. And um, I do try and answer emails I get as well. It, it takes a while. It depends on sort of how, how much is going on. But I do try. And I've also got Instagram and Facebook uh, pages. I have a Twitter page, but I must say I'm not very active on it. Well, and, and Twitter can be kind of volatile these days. Uh, maybe Instagram yes, is, yes, a, is, get, is a great place. Yeah, you get caught. Other stuff is the problem. Yeah, yeah there's, there's, uh, there's happy thoughts at Instagram for the most part. So, yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, Cecilia, this has been so much fun chatting. Um, I love the book. We're going to send everyone to pick up a copy of it and to visit you at your website. Uh, thank you so much for taking time thank to come you. on the I show. I love talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. Both Barrels Publishing is the brainchild of successful indie author James P. Sumner. He has self-published over 15 titles in the last five years and has over 800,000 downloads so far in his career, meaning he has a wealth of knowledge and experience to share with the indie publishing community. Knowing the struggles of the modern-day indie author as well as he does, he wanted to create a platform that would allow writers of any level to learn the ropes, navigate the pitfalls, and produce a professional novel without wasting time or money in the process. Both Barrels Publishing is the perfect one-stop shop for any indie author, combining James's expertise with his own team of editors and designers so you can help your novel realize its full potential and learn how to publish yourself. The purpose of Both Barrels Publishing is to help indie authors get their novels ready for publication without all the stress, hassle, and unnecessary expense. We want to make your lives easier, which is why we're giving you access to a top-notch team to publish your novels, along with a generous discount on their services. You can also work one-on-one -on -one with James to learn the intricacies of self-publishing. No hidden costs, no false promises. We simply want you to publish the best version of your novel. BothBarrelsPublishing.com